G'day, this is The Bell Lab. This is Grandstand's dedicated track and field program. Today, we reflect on some of the most famous final laps in Commonwealth Games history. As part of our Grandstand Remember series, we'll chat World Relays with Dave Robertson in our run-through segment. But first... We're going to hear from Sally Pearson, who next week will begin her overseas campaign at the Diamond League meet in Rome. Pearson's been in a heavy training phase since the conclusion of the domestic season, where the flat sprints were her focus, while she also won a silver medal in the 60 metres hurdles at the World Indoor Championships in Sopot in early March. Now, the Com Games are a key focus for Pearson in 2014, and recently Grandstand's Quentin Hull had the chance to speak to the Olympic champion about what winning gold in Glasgow would mean to her. My first senior team in an individual event in Melbourne 2006 was a massive highlight running in home, home country, was fantastic. The eruption from that stadium was just amazing. And then you have Delhi 2010 Commonwealth Games where I won my first gold medal in an individual event at a senior t- in a senior team and now um, qualified for my third Commonwealth Games and I'm only 27 years of age. So it's, um, I've been around for a very long time but yet I'm still so young in the sport. So it's, um, it's really exciting and I'm the reigning Commonwealth Games champion going into these ones so it's going to be very special for me to regain my title. Well, you've been to world champs and Olympic stages where you've performed and, and won medals, but yeah. just uh, from a Commonwealth Games perspective, people look at the movement and they think of, well, just where is its place and how it develops Australian athletes. How important has it been for you? I think Commonwealth Games has a huge spot um, in Australian culture. It is a massive international event for us. Um, for the rest of the world, maybe not, because the bigger named athletes don't usually come, like the rest of the European nations don't come, the Americans don't come. But for me, definitely as a younger athlete, that is a massive stepping stone for you because the high pressure situations probably aren't there at their maximum at a Commonwealth Games, but they're still there at a point where an athlete can learn how to run against international athletes, learn how to go through the whole process of getting out onto the track, like you're warming up, you're eating properly at certain times, you're cool room times before you step out onto the track. So those those situations can be quite stressful for a young athlete because they've never done it before, but I think they're a huge stepping stone and a big learning curve for any young athlete. And for me as a, a mature athlete and a, a more experienced athlete, it's running for my country again, it's being on the Australian team, wearing the green and gold. I love wearing the green and gold for my country and I work hard to do that. And for me, if I can get on as many Australian teams as possible, then I'm going to be a happy athlete. (laughs) Well, Sally, it seems that we're now at the start of the second phase of your career. You've climbed the mountains, you've won the gold medal at the World Championships, you've won the gold medal at the Olympic Games and you've changed your coach. How have things changed for you? comfort within your own body, your desire, is it a different type of experience that you're in now that you've achieved the great things you have in your sport but you're still so young? 
Yeah, I think um, my my personality around the competitions have changed simply because I know what to expect from myself. So I know when to switch on and switch off now when it comes to a major championships. I want to be my best at the major championships. I don't need to stress as much. I know what I have to do. I know what I can do and what I can't do. And it's just all about focusing for the major championships. My personality around it has changed in a way that I am more relaxed, having a lot of fun this season, this time around. Um, obviously, next year and the year after are going to be huge years, but this year is the first step towards those big years. And if I can get this year right, no injuries, get another gold medal and finish off with fast times at the end of the year, then I know I'm in good stead and um, I know I have that competitive drive still in me to, to become a better athlete, a faster athlete and become Commonwealth Games champion again. Has achieving those goals made it easier for you or has it made it harder because of what you expect of yourself? You've had the taste. Has it made it easier to think of how proud you are of what you've achieved or has it made it tougher to know that, well, I can do this, so let's do it again? Yeah, I think both ways. I think it's easier because I know what to do now. I know uh, how to become that athlete out on the track, the the one with the aggression, the one with the intensity on the track. I know how to do that now. I know what's expected to get to that level. Well, you stop tomorrow, you're still an Olympic and world <laughs> champion. But, uh... And no one can ever take that away from me. Mm. That's the thing. I'm always going to have those titles. Um, but it also makes it harder because I have got those titles and it's like, well, maybe I can just sit back and relax now. But at the same time, you can't because there's so many young athletes coming through who are really talented, who are really fast and want it. Um, who want it just as much as me. So I've got to really stay on my game as well. Sprinting, sprint hurdles in an international level is one of the hardest things to do and to stay focused for and to stay um, determined on, and focused on what you are doing. Getting over 10 barriers in a race is not an easy thing to do. So I can't step back and just relax now. I have to be on my game if I want to keep doing it and keep being the best. You had some time with David Oliver when he was out here during the Australian domestic yeah. season. Working with an athlete like that, I mean, you're continually learning, but what did that experience bring to you? Um, it's kind of hard because we only had one session together, but, I mean, he's a world champion, I'm a world champion, I've got something over him that I'm Olympic champion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you told him too. Yeah, I will. <laughs> um, no, but it's just he's just a great personality. He's um, vibrant, he's exciting. Does that exchange um, of ideas, no. is it friendly around? No, it's never friendly. Yeah. I'm really good at... Um, Giving a bit, giving a bit to the guys. Like I like mm -hmm. to tease them a little bit and, and make sure that I, I tell them that I'm I'm the best here and that you're <laughs> gonna have to catch me, guys. Just it stirs them up a bit. It gets the, the vibe really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and he does it back to me as well. We have mm -hmm. a bit of a laugh, but at the same time we get down onto blocks and we're really quite serious and focused on what we're doing. But it's just different, and that's what I think athletes need sometimes is different. I'm actually going to do a training camp after my first Diamond League, uh, after my second Diamond League in New York uh, this year for 10 days with him and his um, training group and his coach um, for 10 days before I head back to Europe uh, and just to have some eyes on me, have a different perspective and get some training partners and make it exciting and that's going to be a big portion of my training before the Commonwealth Games where I'll get some good quality work in so it's going to be exciting and I'm really looking forward to that stint. Well, we know that Rio's not too far away, which is something that you're going to be desperate to perform well at. <laughs> yeah. We assume that back here, home on the Gold Coast in 2018, might be the time you have to think about 
what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Have you thought about what life holds for Sally Pearson beyond um, jumping hurdles really quickly? Of course, I've always thought about it, but because I love what I do so much, it's so hard to see beyond what I love doing and what I'm so passionate about. Gold Coast Commonwealth Games um, would be a good one to finish at, but I'm still quite young for a hurdle. I'll only be about 32. Um, and will if results I, determine that or will your body determine I think, that? I think, I think more body and mentally, um, because I've been at it for so long now already, um, it'll definitely be um, depending on what my body can handle, what my mind can handle, how much more work do I want to do. And if I want to keep doing it, then I'll keep doing it no matter what the results say. Because I think if you're still having fun, you're not going to care about the results. You're just doing it because you love to do it. And um, you know, we'll, we'll see when it comes to that. I mean, obviously, it would be a good one to finish off in the Commonwealth Games and the Gold Coast, but I think I could possibly go for another Olympics, whether I want to or not. It's another few years away yet to decide. On ABC Grandstand Digital, this is The Bell Lab with Luke Bentony. ABC Grandstand. Well, the inaugural IAAF World Relays were held in Nassau in the Bahamas last Sunday and Monday Australian time and it proved to be a successful meet for Australia. As we'll discuss now with Dave Robertson as part of our run-through segment. And Robbo, the World Relays, Australia finished fifth on the points table behind the heavyweight nations of the US, Jamaica, Kenya and Great Britain. Highlights for the Australians, most notably a bronze in the women's 4 by 1500 metres relay to Zoe Buckman, Bridie Delaney, Brittany McGowan and Melissa Duncan with a time of 17 minutes and 8.65 seconds, a new national record by the way. And the performance was very much set up by a superb opening leg by Buckman who just trailed Kenya's mercy Toronto and survived what you could be described as a, an awkward moment at the changeover. Yeah, no, it just proved uh, athletics can be a contact sport <laughs> at times, but uh, Zoe, I think she's a pretty tough girl. And um, But yeah, no, look, lots of positives to take out of the world relays from an Australian perspective, Luke. I think it, overall it was a great concept um, and I think definitely justified the decision to send a, a full team of Aussies or almost a full team of Aussies over there. But yeah, to get that bronze medal on, the, on day one in a new national record uh, was, was very special and yeah, well done to our women's 4 by 1500 metre runners. So Kenya set a new world record of 16 minutes 33.58 with the US running 16.55.33 for silver. Now Buckman, McGowan and Duncan were joined by Selma Kajan on day two to place fourth in the 4 by 800 metres relay in another national record of 8 minutes and 13.26 seconds with the US, Kenya and Russia filling, filling the podium positions. And Robbo, in the men's distance, realised Australia grabbed fourth place finishes in the 4x8 and the 4x15. Turning to the eight first, Joshua Ralph, Ryan Gregson, Jordan Williams and Jared West broke the national record with a time of 7 minutes 11.48 and Robo it was Williams on that third leg with a split of 146.3 who really put the Australians into medal calculations. Yeah he really did it was a very impressive run by young Geordie he's uh, up there in the states of Villanova and uh, 
yeah, great to see him get a start in both the 1500 and the 800 relays. And he was really dominant uh, in, in that leg of his in the 800. And uh, at, at one point, you know, we were entertaining the thoughts of maybe getting it on the on the podium there in that event as well. Now, Gregson Williams then teamed up with Collis Birmingham and Sam McEntee to finish fourth in the 4x15, a national record of 1446.04. So uh, another nod to our potential in the middle distances. Among the other results in the Bahamas, Jamaica set a new world record in the men's 4x200m relay with a time of 1 minute 18.63 with Johan Blake anchoring the foursome. So all in all, the world relays with bumper crowds in an ideal setting just turned out to be a major success for the IWIF. certainly was. Uh, you know, I, heard, I saw a few tweets going around from some of the athletic enthusiasts from this state saying, you know, we've been doing this for years and it's, it's the rest of the world that's catching on to how this is such a great concept. Um, look, it, it, it was really well received. There was an absence of some of the big other big countries uh, not there and some big-name athletes as well, but even with that, to have the world record, to have some great meet presentation uh, ideas as well. I love the athlete intros. Um, there was not much dead time at all in the program. I didn't mind the titling of the races as well. So you had the four-lap race or the eight-lap race. That so makes it really easy to understand. Uh, plenty of colour and excitement. So I reckon it's definitely something to build on. Now, the success of the world, realise it does beg the question, can we hold a dedicated relays meet in Australia. I'm sure the interest from the athletes will be there and it needs to be reminded that or remembered that the Briggs Classic in Hobart, that was initially intended to be a relays meet similar to those held in the US. So that shows that administrators are mindful of their appeal. Yeah, look, I'd love to hear some of the ideas and I've seen some thoughts being thrown around on various online forums during the week. Uh, I think Australia would definitely embrace the concept um, you've seen how effective it could be over there in Nassau. And, uh, you know, whether it would be a, a state-by-state basis or whether we look at some other basis as well. But um, I think if we could find a way to just inject that colour and life into our domestic program, I think it would be a really great step. Um, the thing I like as well, Luke, is it's giving a chance for the middle-distance runners to have a crack in these relay environments as well. So the 800s and the 1500s more rarely run. Um, at championship levels, but you know it, it's great to see those athletes the best in the world, and, and for us it would be the best in our in the country uh, performing on a relay scale as well. Now you mentioned there the option of using state-based teams if we were to hold a, a relay meet, and this used to be one of the well, they used to be the races keenly anticipated at nationals, and I feel you could also consider using club teams as this could be a way of reviving the club structure in Australia, which has needed some life breathed into it for some time? Yeah, look, I think that would be an interesting angle to it as well. And, there, you know, there are definitely around the, the main capital cities in Australia, there are still some very strong clubs. And, uh, but then it sort of does, you know, uh, fall away a little bit perhaps. And so something like this could really inject a lot of life into the club structure. So, uh, yeah, no, no matter how it was done, I think it would definitely be an exciting prospect. Now, turning attention to the Diamond League, since we last spoke, Danny Samuels continued her outstanding 2014 season, a second place in Shanghai with 67 metres 89, another personal best. This weekend in Eugene, we'll see Zoe Buckman, Ryan Gregson, Collis Birmingham and Selma Cajun flying the Australian flag. And Robo, next week we'll have the 2014 overseas debut of Sally Pearson in Rome, where Kim Mickle and Ben Harradine also 
be competing. Yeah, look, it's great to see uh, more and more Aussies lining up in the Diamond League meets. I'm particularly looking forward to seeing how some of our middle distance runners and distance runners come off the high of the World Relays and uh, battle it out over there in Eugene this weekend. But yeah, you mentioned Sally, uh, Kim Mickle, Ben Harridan battling it out in Rome. That's going to be really exciting as well. So we're in for a, a big few months or a couple of months in the lead up to Glasgow now. And, and these athletes are really starting to look to peak. Uh, for the Com Games, and I think we're going to see some pretty interesting performances. Now, speaking of the Com Games, Robo, some great news of late that the Tartan Couch will be making its way to Scotland in a couple of months. Yes, mate. No, that's breaking news just this week. So we've, <laughs> we've had it confirmed. Mossy and I uh, uh, booked our flights to Glasgow, and we'll be over there. We'll, our next uh, next issue is to try and figure out how we can get the Tartan Couch into Hamden. <laughs> And just, just for the benefit of listeners, it wasn't easy, obviously, to get yourselves to Glasgow. Just explain the process in, in getting funds together. Yeah, look, we, we wanted to, uh, I've never done it before, but wanted to experiment using the crowdfunding approach. So it was using a platform called Possible and providing rewards for people that made certain pledges. And the hot ticket item has been the Tartan Couch limited edition T-shirt, um, which you can still get. <laughs> so, you know, it's been interesting to sort of see how it's played out. Well, Robbo, good luck as you begin your or continue your preparations for Glasgow, and thanks for joining us again on the run through. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Luke. On ABC Grandstand Digital, this is the Bell Lap with Luke Pentony. ABC Grandstand. As we continue our Grandstand Remembers series, we're going to look back at famous final laps in Com Games history and I can't think of a better race to reflect upon than the mile at the 1954 British and Commonwealth Games in Vancouver. It's since been known as the Miracle Mile with England's Roger Bannister who became the first man to break four minutes for the distance in May of 1954 when he famously stopped the clock at 3 minutes and 59.4 seconds in Oxford. Faced off with Australia's John Landy, who broke Bannister's mark the following month in Finland when he clocked 3 minutes 58. It was a race that was keenly anticipated all around the world with record television and radio audiences, while a crowd of 35,000 packed the Empire Stadium on August 7 to see Bannister and Landy go head-to-head. We pick up the action early in the final lap with Landy out in front, and this is how listeners back in Australia heard the race in 1954. It's Landy in the lead, with Bannister two yards behind, and now we come to 300 yards to go. Can Bannister catch him? There is none of this same spurt at the moment. Landy is, I think, drawing slightly away. Yes, Landy has got a lead of about three yards. It's 220 yards to go, and I don't believe Bannister's going to be able to catch him. 
Landy is running beautifully. No, Bannister's coming up on him now. 150 yards to go, and Bannister is gaining ever so slightly with each stride. 130 yards to go, and Bannister is coming up to Landy's elbow. Bannister has passed Landy, and he comes into the straight, and it's going to be Bannister's race. Landy is flagging, I think. Here comes Bannister, striding absolutely magnificently. He's got a lead of two yards, three yards, four yards, about 15 yards to go, and Bannister breasts the tape now, and Landy's second about three yards behind. So Bannister won the gold in 3 minutes and 58.8 seconds, having passed Landy on his right near the top of the final band when the Australian had glanced over his left shoulder. Landy ran 3.59.6 for silver, and that moment when Bannister passed Landy was captured in a famous photo that has been reproduced countless times since the Miracle Mile. Now, after the race, Bannister spoke of his tactics in defeating Landy. My end plan was to not allow my schedule of fairly even laps to be put off by anyone, what anyone else would do. And I realised that um, John Landy was going just a little bit too fast for me in the first two laps. And so I let him go. And it's rather a frightening thing to allow a 15-yard lead to open up in the middle of a, a race at which so much is at stake. And then I managed to close by the bell. And then uh, in the last lap, I felt him going away from me in the last straight. But I tried to hang on grimly. And then at the last corner, I did find I had something left. And so hurled myself past him and then was just determined to reach the tape. And Landy also explained his race strategy that involved him trying to burn off Bannister. Well, to run the first lap with a little bit in reserve and then just go as hard as I could and idea to burn anyone off that stayed, tried to stay with me but uh, unfortunately I couldn't burn Bannister off I tried very hard and he just hung to me that was the only plan I had Well 36 years later another epic final lap took place on the Com Games stage this time at Auckland's Mount Smart Stadium in 1990 It was the men's 5000 metres final in which Kenya's Olympic champion John Ngugi was involved in a fall just after the 800 metre mark and lost over 30 metres on the field before somehow taking the lead just a lap later. He opened a significant margin on the rest of the field and led by 30 metres going into the bell lap with Australia's Andrew Lloyd amongst the chasing pack. Here's the final stages. Lloyd has finishing speed. We've seen it so often in Melbourne. They're closing. Lloyd could even win a medal here. Ngugi is in front by 20 metres. They're coming at him. The race is on now. Ngugi in front. It's Hamer of Wales who's got into second. And here comes Lloyd. They're into the straight. Ngugi is dying. Lloyd's coming at him. Ngugi leads by 10. Lloyd wearing it down at every stride. Ngugi in front. Lloyd is getting to him. Ngugi and Lloyd. Lloyd runs past him. Lloyd gold medal. They said he didn't have the heart for it. They said he didn't have the stomach, the guts. And Andrew Lloyd has stolen it in the last stride from John Ngugi, the man who deserved to win. So Lloyd took victory in 13 minutes and 24.86 seconds, just 0.08 ahead of Ngugi. And afterwards, the Australian caught up with Grandstand to describe the feeling of winning gold. I feel fantastic, top of the world. Um, 
I wanted to run a good race. I wanted to run a PB and uh, hopefully get the medals, and I did. Did you really think you could catch them? I thought I could get silver, and then with about 150, I could see Nagugi coming up close. And I thought, well, do or die, got to go. Andrew Lloyd there, a famous moment in Australia's Com Games history, and no doubt more chapters are set to be written when the Glasgow edition kicks off in July. And, of course, you'll be able to hear much of the action from Scotland on ABC Grandstand. So we will bring you broadcast details in the coming programs. A reminder now, you can listen to the Bell Lap on Grandstand Digital or streamed at abc.net.au slash grandstand on a fortnightly basis every second Friday. And that is the same address where you can find the podcast of the program as well as the broadcast schedule. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. And if you want to get in contact through Twitter, just drop me a message at Luke Pentony, all one word. Catch you again in a fortnight.